Welcome to this week's episode of Off the Assembly Line. I'm your host, Rebecca Reed, and every week I sit down for possibility-sparking conversation with innovative educators and entrepreneurs who are bringing the future to education, one beautiful disruption at a time. What's up, guys? On today's episode, I'm talking with Mike Yates, the lead guide and academic coach at Alpha, a K-12 private school in Austin, Texas, that operates a little differently, to say the least. The team at Alpha makes three promises to students and their families. Students will love school, they'll learn twice as fast, and they'll learn life skills. Mike and I talk about the power of authentic learning, pathways for educators who do education differently, and a little light riffing on the future of education. So welcome to the show, Mike. Really glad to have you here. So glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm just going to go ahead and dive right into the work that you're doing with Alpha. I know you've said that the work that your team is doing represents one of the most important school-based innovations of the last 100 years, which is kind of a wild and exciting statement. I mean, I get excited when I hear that. So could you share a little bit about what you guys are doing at Alpha and the kind of disruption that you see this being capable of um, kind of from a broader perspective? Yeah, yeah. So I, I really believe that what we're doing is special. And and I think that um, I, I stand by that st- that statement. You know, um, if, if we look at the classroom, the American school system, there's not been major innovation in about a hundred years. You know, I, I wrote a post about this re- recently on LinkedIn, but if you look at the typical classroom of, you know, 1919, 1920, and then you look at the typical classroom today, the mode is still the same. It is still a human being in front disseminating information, requiring kids to memorize and regurgitate. Um, and there are special teachers who are within the system that are doing amazing things. I do not want to discount that. But in general, and overall, the school system is the same. And so the thing that we've done at Alpha that I think is super special is we have made one of the most important innovations, which I think is time. So at Alpha, we make three promises to every parent and every kid. And the first is that your kid's going to love school. You know, when, you, when you become an adult, everybody wants you to love what you do and love your job and love your career. But we expect kids to go through this crucible that is school until they hit, you know, 22, 24, and then they're supposed to all of a sudden love what they do um, when, you know, it's, it's been compulsory uh, before they became, you know, of, of working age. Uh, so we want kids to love school. The second thing is that we promise that parents and we promise to students that kids will learn two times as fast. And when I say two times as fast, I don't mean that we're graduating kids early. I mean that in the school day, the same amount of content that everyone else gets, our kids get in half the time because we use adaptive learning software, which for your math, science, and writing means that they can cover those subjects in a shorter amount of time. And the last thing that we do is that we actually teach life skills. Most schools and most people that you talk to will agree that schools are not teaching life skills. There's a life skills gap. Kids don't know how to communicate. Kids don't know how to make eye contact. Kids don't know financial literacy. And, um, and so we, we promise that kids are going to learn life skills here. And because we've shortened the academic portion of the day, we have time in our school schedule to teach life skills. So like ultimately, the innovation is time. And we're doing all these sort of really cool things with time. 
I mean, it sounds amazing. So you're taking, I mean, the same amount of content, the same standards that students would be learning in a traditional model school, and you're basically condensing that down into half the time that they would be spending on it in a traditional school day. So you mentioned adaptive learning software. For those who are not familiar with that term, talk a little bit about what that looks like, what that means in the classroom. Everybody is familiar with Netflix. Um, there is the same tool that is that is uh, running the algorithm in on Netflix and in, in Amazon that suggests new products or that suggests new content is one of the very familiar tools to adaptive learning software. So essentially, like on Netflix, you watch a movie, you watch a show, and then the app looks at the movie or show that you watch, and it cross applies it with other movies, other shows that are very similar, and it suggests like, hey, if you like Gone Girl, or if you like, you know, this movie, you, you know, you might like these set of movies or these set of shows. But adaptive learning software is doing it in a little different way. It's doing it academically. So take uh, math. If you're in fifth grade math, you'd answer a question, and the algorithm would then say, oh, since you got this question right, you're ready for a more difficult fifth grade concept, and then a more difficult sixth grade concept, and then seventh grade, and you can actually keep going until you have hit the highest level of math that the app offers. Now, when you start to struggle or when you get questions wrong, the app can recognize that as well and move you backwards to help you master what you're missing before it moves you forward again. So that process we believe and we've seen is so valuable because even the best teachers cannot do that for every kid just by virtue of there being so many kids in the classroom. Right? But the app is focused on one kid at a time. The app never has a bad day, never has a bad life event. Right? Like the app is always there. So uh, that, that's how we're cutting the, the school day in half. It's like differentiation on steroids almost. Exactly. Yep. You know, some questions that I think might come to our listeners' minds then is, okay, so, you know, we're using adaptive learning software. It's, you know, providing differentiation for students. It's providing accelerated learning for students. What then does it do for the role of the teacher? And what does that look like, you know, in an alpha classroom? Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've been writing about this a lot. And, you know, one of the common, that is one of the common questions that we get is like, and, and sometimes it's actually a common statement where, where people say, hey, you're trying to get rid of teachers. And we say, oh, no, no, actually, we are trying to empower teachers and we're changing the role of the teacher. And I believe that in 2030 and 2040, this will be the role of the teacher. You, so we at Alpha don't need to hire content experts. We don't need anybody that knows math super well, because generally speaking, every adult knows more math than a sixth grader or a fifth grader or even 11th grader in a lot of cases. So we trust that the app can teach that. The role of the teacher at Alpha is now that you motivate, that you coach, that you figure out how to move kids in and out of the right apps, that you communicate with students, you engage in like SEL practices, like check on kids, like how they're doing. Um, and the most important role I think is that we, like outside of building a relationship with kids, our most important role is that we're developing life skills projects, life skills workshops that kids are gonna love and that create experiences that they can't get anywhere else. You're really building the learning experience around project-based learning. Would that be, is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, sure. Project-based learning, problems-based learning as well. Like one of the things, we want to make sure that these projects are real, right? Mm. Um, so for example, I, I am running a workshop right now 
And the goal of the workshop is to teach kids at a very grassroots level about entrepreneurship and the way that money moves through the economy. And the way that I'm doing that is by teaching kids to flip things on eBay. Hmm. So kids are making real money. And today, you know, one, one of our kids came to me and he's like, Mike, Mike, like so excited. I just sold my Nintendo DS. I put it on eBay and sold within 30 minutes. And I was like, great. And then he looks at me and he's like, you know, I can make more money if I sell the game separately. And so he's amassed like $350 in a week. And now he's coming to me and asking me, what am I going to do with this? He doesn't know, but step two of the project is that he's going to use that capital to create his own business outside of eBay, whether it be a lemonade stand or whether it be a sneaker shop or something on Etsy, right? Um, and, and so he's learning, like truly learning with money. And he may lose money on a deal. And that's okay because that's the process. That's real, right? So it's, it's problems-based and you know that project-based learning. Yeah, and it's really giving real-world application and a real-world environment for those academic skills to kind of come alive in and, and to have meaning within. Yeah, absolutely. It has to be real. You know, when when I was a when I was a kid and I hated school because I knew from a very young age that what I was learning was not strongly connected to the real world and uh, my teachers didn't do a great job of connecting my learning to what was happening in my life. So, yeah, it's really important to me. One of the questions that has just kind of stood the test of time in education is the question of when will I ever use this or yeah. why am I learning this? And yeah, yeah I, you know, innovation in education really in a lot of ways should seek to make that question null and void. You know, my hope is that for students in this upcoming generation, that that won't be a question at the top of any student's minds. I mean, wouldn't that be incredible? I know. Me too. I mean, yeah, like I, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, that, that was the question I kept asking in school and I was, I get in trouble for it a lot, but I asked that in every class and my mom was a teacher as well. So, so I knew full well how to navigate that world. And, Mm. You know, I, I will never forget the day the iPhone came out. I was in high school in 2007, and I had listened to teachers my whole life tell me, you won't have a calculator with you when you grow up, so you should learn how to show your work when you do math. And then the iPhone came out, and there's a calculator in my pocket, and a media company, and apps, and an iPod. Like, so I was like, whoa, like they've, I've been lied to. Yeah, I mean, I remember having the exact same experience. And I mean, bottom line learning has to have meaning for it to be able to take root for students. So I, yeah, I love that you guys are really, um, you're building your learning journey, your learning progressions around these meaningful experiences. I'm curious, you know, on kind of a personal note for you, what was the gap that kind of forced this innovation forward? What was the pain point that you could no longer ignore that kind of forced you into this next step? Yeah, I mean, for, for me, it was becoming a teacher. When I stood behind the veil, so to speak, and I sort of saw firsthand um, as a teacher, I taught, in, I taught in public schools, I taught in private schools, I taught in charter schools. I went searching for the right model, the best model, the most effective, where I could do the most good. And I remember I, uh, I was teaching in Fort Worth at the time, and I came home, and I sat on the couch, and I looked at my wife, and I, I said, if I want to teach or work at a school that does what I believe is best for kids, I'm going to have to start the school myself. And so I started, I've always been a very futuristic, forward-thinking person. I enjoy thinking about the future and trying to predict 
those you know themes and patterns and like trying to figure out how to respond and be there first. So I started doing that. Um, and in that that research and in, in that place, I found that there were people already thinking what I was thinking and already doing what I was thinking at Alpha. And I you know applied for this job through LinkedIn and and I am so happy to be here because it's the innovation I've been dreaming of. What about educators who are right now kind of in the shoes that you were in prior to coming into Alpha for the ones that are just feeling, you know, I'm going to have to step out on my own and and do this in a different way if I want to do it in the way that's best for kids. For educators who are dreaming of that, you know, starting their own school or, or bringing in a different sort of model, where do they start? What are some first steps that they can take to make this tangible? I think it's I think it's by reaching out and talking to other people. One of the things that I have come to find out in the last year or two is that there are so many different voices in in different places and small pockets that are sort of saying the same thing. And like everybody agrees that school needs to be different, but like you're saying, like nobody's taking the leap, right? Like you have, like in my opinion, like some of the most talented minds in the world that are sitting in a U.S. history classroom, like fighting the man, right? Like getting in trouble with their administrators because they're doing amazing projects and amazing, like creating amazing experience for students. And they're saying to themselves, like, oh, if I had the money or if I had the time or if somebody would listen, they, they would get out there and do it. My advice is just to go find the people first. Right. Um, I as a teacher, it is so different, which is why I'm glad that you have this podcast, because it's, it's different than everyone else. You know, all the other entrepreneurship podcasts and voices, you know, Gary Vee, who I love, by the way, and, you know, John Hinton and everybody, they're like, just take the leap, just quit your job, just go at it. Well, a lot of teachers don't have money and we don't have savings, right? And we don't have loan forgiveness as we've just found out. So you may have to stay there and do what you can in your school while you build social capital on the side. It may mean that you don't go to happy hour or you don't play on the softball team. It may mean that from nine to midnight, nine to 1 a.m., you're putting in work on this project because you feel that passionately about it. But I would just say, find the other people that can work with you, that can innovate with you, because there are other voices. There are people who are looking to do this work. Um, and and I, think, I think we'll have a lot of success that way. If we have people, uh, like a critical mass of teachers that are stepping out and trying to create different options, no matter what they are, I think students will win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you hit on so many things there. And everything that you just said is exactly why this podcast is in existence, because there are so many people doing innovative, disruptive things and moving the needle in their respective spaces. But there's not a whole lot of strategic, coordinated efforts, you know, among that group. And something that's really interesting is, you know, when you start to wade out into this intersection of education and the real world or education and innovation or education, um, you know, in the future of work and things like that. There's a lot of really phenomenal conversations happening. You don't necessarily have current educators at the center of those conversations. And I mean, I really feel like that's the most important voice in the conversation, right? You talk about finding some, you know, finding these conversations and, and adding your voice to the mix. Where, let's even break it down a little further than that. I mean, where, where do people start? Are we, are we talking about LinkedIn? Are we talking about, you know, within your own building? Are we talking about combing Twitter, social media, looking for the people that are speaking your language? I mean, where did you find your people? So for me, and what I recommend, one of my 
big, big goal is to encourage teachers to get on LinkedIn. I had a blast um, on LinkedIn, but I've also found people who are both in and out of education who are listening. Mm, I agree. And who are paying attention to this problem. And just like on Twitter, there are people with giant followers. Uh, educa- educators are big there, all the Twitter chats. But if I really, like, I don't want to offend anybody, but when I think about Twitter, I think about a lot of teachers who they love to innovate from within. They love the system that exists. And that is okay. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in a different problem. I'm interested in disruption. I'm interested in a different option. And those people are on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the greatest organic growth you can have on social media. And I think more K through 12 educators need to be on LinkedIn, creating a collective voice. I mean, legitimately, like if we want to be real about it. If you want to create an, an innovative option, you cannot be a charter school because you cannot accept federal and state dollars because essentially you will, you charter schools are public schools. They, they have to comply with state standards. And the beautiful thing about Alpha is that we don't accept any federal or state funds so we can literally do what is best for children. We can do what we believe is most innovative and cutting edge and best. So that takes a lot of private funding. And so if you are trying to do something innovative, that private funding and those connections are on LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, you think about um, the benefits of being at a conference, right, and getting to rub shoulders with people from potentially different industries, depending on what kind of conference it is. Definitely, uh, you know, people from from different companies and people who are innovating in different ways. And, And LinkedIn, in my experience, has really been, you know, the virtual version of the best cross industry um, conference, you know, where you get to really strike up conversations with people that are thinking differently and have different perspectives, you know, and access to ways of thinking that that you would never have otherwise. So, yeah, let's talk about the future of education just a little bit here. Um, The future of education has become a little bit of a buzz phrase, which I'm not mad at because I think it's a phenomenal phrase, something we need to be talking about and thinking about more and more. But usually when people bring that phrase up, they're talking about it within the context of emerging technologies or things like artificial intelligence, augmented reality, and things like that, which definitely plays a huge part in the future of education, right? But when I look at the landscape of the future of ed, my hope, my my driving hope is really that the future of the system will look in a lot of ways like it should look right now, right? And provide learning that actually meets the needs of students and the ways that they learn, you know, and matches their cognitive and emotional development. But having said that, kind of looking out toward the future, what do you think are the most urgently needed changes for the future of education that we really need to kind of take on right now? Yeah, I mean, I I love the way you put that. I think the best way to conceptualize the future of education is actually to look ahead, figure out where things are going and make them happen now. So I, I love that. And I, I think that's that's the core of what I'm, I'm trying to do as an educator. So right now, I think one of the things that we can figure out um, is is how to get kids to love school. And I, I know that that seems a little bit simple and to some it may seem underwhelming. But the reason why I say that is because when you focus on the child loving school. This doesn't necessarily mean that everything has to be fun. Uh, It means that several decisions, lots of curriculum decisions, scheduling decisions, staffing decisions will be made differently because now the kids have 
a stronger voice, um, but they will commit. When, when kids love school, you can push really hard. When they love school, you can do crazy projects. When they are committed and bought into the vision um, and the mission of your school, then you can not only push the kids forward, but the education community forward as a whole, because now you have young people that are doing amazing things. And so I think the, the thing that I would like to see more schools start now that I believe will be essential in the future of education is figuring out ways for kids to love school. I, th I think like, like, of course, I don't think Alpha is the only school that's doing this, but I think we do a really good job of this. I think that Ron Clark Academy in Atlanta probably does the best job of getting kids to love the environment where they learn. I don't think anybody in the world does it better than have you seen Ron Clark before? Yeah, I am familiar with Ron, with Ron Clark. Um, what do you think that they're doing that is causing that love of learning to come out in their students? So I think one, it is a trickle down from Ron himself. Ron Clark is, he is a cartoon character. I have never met him in person, but I feel like I know him. He is, you know, he's loud, he's boy, he dances with the kids, he makes videos, he, he fits himself into their world. But I think from a, like an organizational perspective, they're just intentional about it. They are intentional about, intentional about sparing no dime to convince kids that they are worth it. They, you know, they have, they have the giant blue slide in the middle of the school and, and you got to get slides certified if you're a teacher and you come get trained by them. And when you get into the school, you, 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 know, you slide down the slide and the whole community is waiting for you, right? So they're very communal. Um, they're, they, they hire the best talent and everybody in that school from top to bottom is bought in to the mission. Um, and then they do the little things. I think, you know, doing, doing the organizational things is great, but doing the little things is also really, really cool. Uh, some of their classrooms have like a, like you come to the door and the door has like a passcode and the kids, or it looks like to me from the videos, the kids have to come to the door and say things like, I am a champion. And then the door opens. Like people think things like that are cliche and maybe they are, but if I keep saying I'm a champion every day to get into class, I'm going to feel a lot better, right? Like, you know, like one of the things we do at Alpha is a, a lot of the passwords to stuff is I love school. So we're always writing it, then hopefully they'll internalize it. Uh-huh. That's a great brain hack. No, I, I, yeah, I love what you said there. You know, you're talking about teachers being slide certified and, um, you know, these, these smaller things that they're doing, like the, the passcodes and, you know, the magic is not necessarily in those particular tactics, right? But it's it's what you said before that, where you said they're being intentional about convincing kids that they're worth it. And I mean, to me, that's like a big ding, 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 that I think a lot of the rest of, of what they're doing is really built on. And so I'm curious with Alpha, uh, you know, I love kind of the brain hack that you mentioned there about uh, passwords being out of school. What are some What are some other things that you guys are doing that are intentionally convincing kids that they're worth it, you know, intentionally creating opportunities where students will organically love coming to school. Yeah, well, uh, one of the things that we do is we have this very open line of communication with students. And, and students, when I say open, I mean like after a workshop ends, you can go ask a student like, hey, did you like that workshop? Mm. And they, a lot of, like, because they know that's the culture here, they, they don't pull punches. They will tell you, no, it was boring today. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll tell you that was awesome. It was super fun. I want to do it again. Um, we involve students in lots of decisions. A lot of people would say that kids shouldn't be involved in. We did, we did some rebranding. We changed the name of the school. 
and uh, the name we kept a secret from the kids. But we asked them questions about like, hey, like what colors do you want to see? Like uh, when when we released the name, we were like, hey, how do you like the how do you like the logo? How do you like the you know? And those little things make kids feel like this is their school. Mm. One of the other things that I, that I that I love that we do is, it does not matter where you are going, meeting, phone call. If a kid wants to talk to you or show you something, if there is a moment that you can spend with a kid, we almost very aggressively require the adults in the building to have that FaceTime. If it makes you 10 minutes late to a meeting, fine. You were 10 minutes late to that meeting. But you do not dismiss a kid to go do an adult duty because we're here for them. Mm -hmm. And the more we build those things into the program, we see that kids, I mean, every kid loves coming to school. You know, you, you've mentioned several times, really, the voice of the student. And kind of as you're sharing some of this, Mike, you know, talking about bring, intentionally bringing the voice of the student into the shape of the school and into decisions and into the school day and, you know, doing things that intentionally communicate to kids that they're worth this effort day in and day out. A lot of these things, I, I think maybe what I'm really excited about these things is that you don't necessarily need to be in, a, in an alternative school model to be able to bring these kinds of strategies, you know, these powerful strategies into the classroom. And th that might bring up another question for me, you know, understanding that the vast majority of educators are going to remain within the mainstream system, whatever that looks like at any given time. So knowing that, knowing that most won't be able to step out and start their own school, um, or, or maybe even, you know, do what you did and, and join um, an alternate or um, an alternative school model. For those educators that want to do education differently, what are some of the strategies, some of the tools, some of the tactics that they could borrow from what you're doing at Alpha and bring it into their space right now? Yeah, yeah. So one thing that I uh, really, really believe that, that people can do is, and, and some, sometimes my friends tell me this sounds like a joke, but I am not joking. I'm being very serious. I think that teachers should start treating schools like LeBron James treats the NBA, like he treats his teams. So here's what I mean by that. LeBron James is obviously the most talented player on earth right now. He may be the greatest ever. So I think talented teachers should, number one, should not be afraid to move on to another school. If the environment does not allow you to do what you want to do, there is nothing wrong with going to a place that will allow you to do that, even if it's another traditional school. The second thing I think is that teachers should start to recruit their friends who are great teachers as well. Every year, I am trying to pull one of my friends who is a phenomenal teacher away from their school to come work with me. And the reason why is because if you are in a traditional school environment and you want to be innovative and doing things differently, it helps to have your whole department on your side or it helps to have another, a pers another person in the building who understands. So I think that teachers should really, really do that. The third thing I think is like you shouldn't be afraid to be you. Like you think about LeBron James, he's he's big, he's fast, he's strong, but people say like, oh, he shouldn't be playing point guard. He shouldn't, you know, he, he shouldn't be saying this in the media. He shouldn't be commenting on the president, but he does, right? Be you because you're talented, you have something to offer, 
right? And you are important to your organization, and so you should know that. So I, I, I think that there is there is a way to exist as an innovative teacher in a traditional school model, and I think it's actually needed. Because one thing that I know is that we will not destroy the public school system, what we're doing at Alpha. That system's not going and so I would actually rather just have talented teachers and innovative, everybody working together. There should be so many options that kids should be able to choose and families should be able to choose what works best for their kids, right? Not everybody thrives at Alpha, but they might thrive at a in a traditional public school with a phenomenal teacher who's willing to go the extra mile for them. So I, I think like in a regular school, there's, there's a lot of things I think you can do, but uh, I've been using that LeBron James analogy lately. So. <laughs> I'm a fan. I'm a I'm a season ticket holder for the Orlando Magic. I mean, you know, not not quite LeBron caliber, but I can appreciate. But it's okay. I love Obama. Obama's great. He's coming along. He is coming along. No, I I love that analogy. And um, yeah, I mean, you you hit on team, and goodness gracious, if that's not really the special sauce when it comes to innovation, right? Is having people around you that that get what you're trying to do and can champion you and push you forward. So. Uh, yeah, I think just another kind of another hit on that, which is, you know, find, find your people, find those conversations and get into them one way or another. We're going to take a real quick break back in just a sec. Hey, guys, it's Rebecca. Over the last several years, I've worked with educators across the U.S. who are truly doing education differently and changing the game for students. The problem I've bumped into is that truly innovative educators often feel like they're building their vision alone. They're the only ones they know who are doing things this way. But the truth is, there are thousands of dynamic educators like this across the country and across the globe. I'm privileged to know an awful lot of them. What if these educators had a place to connect, really connect, and step into each other's goals? Imagine finding a like-minded tribe where inspiration, coaching, and actual collaboration are regular byproducts of every meeting. This tribe exists, and it's called the Teacher Mastermind. If you want to know more, go to teachermastermind.com or send me a message. When you do education differently, you often go alone. We think we're better together. And we're back. For the school leaders who are listening and for the superintendents who are listening, what are the things that you've seen, you know, culturally, you know, or instructionally at, at Alpha have the greatest impact that you would, you know, really want to evangelize and champion to whoever might be listening? Yeah. So for school leaders and so I'll, I'll go down, down the chain really quickly. So for superintendents, my, my, my biggest criticism of superintendents is that they're too policy focused. I remember having a group of students email over and over to get a meeting with the superintendent. I emailed, I called, I showed up unannounced at the office. And for a full school year, I could not get FaceTime with the superintendent of this district. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that it was almost the last straw for me. And I realized like if, if the head of this, like the top of this district, will not talk to me as a teacher. I don't feel like I am important. I don't feel like they care about what I'm doing. So the best thing that a superintendent can do is over index on FaceTime with teachers and students. Like not like the, oh, I go to a couple of schools a year. Like you should break your back to get to every single school you can in a school year so that every kid and every teacher can see your face. You should have an open door policy. Teachers should be able to walk into your office and talk to you. 
I know it doesn't sound practical. It's not practical. It's crazy. But to fix education, it's going to be crazy. For administrators, I think one of the things that we do really well at Alpha is we have two phenomenal campus leaders. They happen to be married, so so they get to plan things at home and all kinds of things. But uh, we have two extremely bright, phenomenal leaders who care about people, and they they really care about children. You know, one of them had never he had never worked at a school, he had never worked with children before, but loves people so much and loves children so much and loves innovation so much that he goes the extra mile to make everybody feel heard and to make sure um, that everything works, right? Um, and so I think it's that, I think it's just trust. Trust the teachers up front. Give more trust than you think you should um, to educators. And in, in turn, do the same with students. Um, I, I, I think there's a lot organizationally um, that can be said for the for, for trust, right? Like just mm-hmm. let, let people do their thing. And, and if it doesn't work, then you can pull back and put whatever uh, restrictions you need to put. But I think in, in the traditional system, there's walls and, and, and tradition and best practices that are thrown at you as a teacher, and they put you in a box. So take the box away and see what the teachers do. Hmm. Yeah, the word trust, that, that's a big one. I, th- I think that's a, that might be the one when it comes to school leadership and leading teachers well. Um, and I, I come from the classroom myself, so that, that word really resonates for me. And, and just to kind of go back to what you said for superintendents, um, you know, boots on the ground, being physically present and really spending time in the presence of and in conversation with students and teachers. And I think that's really powerful for teachers. It's powerful for students, but I think it's also powerful for district administrators to be able to to really get a sense and a feel for what is taking place throughout an entire district. And, um, you know, that's that's tougher in some places than others, for sure. Um, Yeah, but definitely, definitely a powerful target to shoot for. So, Mike, as we start to kind of wrap things up a little bit here, I am curious, who are you giving an A to these days? So by A, you mean like who do I think is doing like really great, like school or person? Exactly. Any and all. Who Who is doing a great job? Who would you say they deserve an A? Yeah. So I, I there's a couple of people, um, both inside and outside of education. So I think... Um, uh, in terms of uh, people, like individual people, I am definitely giving an A to um, a person that is like brash and out there, but everybody loves him. I'm giving an A to Gary Vaynerchuk. I think that the the model that he is uh, laying, the foundation that he's laying for both content creators, but also people who are interested in learning new skills is incredible. I mean, this, this is a guy who is worth hundreds of millions of dollars who's giving away business advice for free. So if you want to learn how to start a business, just listen to a Gary Vee podcast, email him, contact him, you know, whatever. Uh, the, the other person I'm giving an A to is another guy that's kind of in the same vein is John Henry. So much education coming from John Henry um, on entrepreneurship, hustle, business. Um, he has a show that you should check out on Vice called The Hustle. It's really good. Um, but in, in the education realm, I'm going to give you an A for this podcast because I think it is incredible that there is a place for these things to be discussed, especially in the education community where it's not. I am going to give Robin Schulman an A. Robin Schulman is uh, she's a LinkedIn top voice in education. If you are not following her and you are an educator, you should follow her on LinkedIn. Um, more than 
being a top voice, which means that the things that she writes, um, she also writes for Forbes. They're super valuable, super thought provoking. Um, she herself is just an amazing person. And if you contact her and reach out to her, she will make time to speak to you and to help. And, and she truly wants to help. Uh, so definitely Robin. And the last person is Jennifer Gonzalez from the Cult of Pedagogy. Uh, her content is next level on Twitter. She uh, does a really, really great job of even like her recycled stuff from like 2015 is like really relevant. Um, she also does a good job of being available to people. So I'm giving those people an A. That's awesome. And and thanks, Mike, for saying that. I'm really honored to be a part of that list of incredible folks you just mentioned. Appreciate that. You deserve it. Yeah. So how can people get connected with you and what you're doing? Yeah. Um, so for me personally, um, I love having the conversation. I love working on side projects. And, you know, I have an incredibly supportive family that uh, lends my time out to lots of people. Um, so if it's within reason, I can make it happen. Um, reach out to me on LinkedIn. The t- just search Mike Yates. I'll, I'll be the, one of the first uh, links. Um, you can find me on Twitter at just Mike Yates. The just is in the handle as well. So yeah. And, and, and that's that. I'm excited. I'm, I'm working on a couple of other projects and I'm really, really excited about. So I'll make sure that we have all those links in the show notes. It'll be really easy for people to find you um, and get connected with you, Mike. But yeah, before we wrap up, talk a little bit about Guide. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so Guide is a, a social e-learning app that I am I'm, I'm building with some great friends of mine that actually, so remember we talked about the power of LinkedIn. Our team was assembled fully on LinkedIn. Most of us had never met face-to-face before. And for the first three months of building the app, we had never been in the same room. And so we were all on LinkedIn talking about the same thing, future of education, life skills, future of work, and decided to come together. And we have created Guide, which is an app that teaches life skills through micro video content um, and targets high school students. So essentially, my the impetus behind me working on the project was that I recognize that Alpha right now only exists in Austin. And even in Austin, it's not exactly accessible to every kid. Um, there, there are reasons for that because we're kind of experimental. But even though that's the case, I wanted to make a way for every student to engage with life skills content. More than that, we want kids to be able to create life skills content for other students. So we've created an app where you can both um, learn, engage, and, and create life skills content so that people can you know, give and, and, and learn and all sorts of things in that app. So we're really excited about what's happening with Guide. We're launching in just a few weeks. Nice. Do you have an official launch date for it or is it is that still moving a little bit? It's still kind of moving, but the app basically done. We're like roughly two weeks out. So oh, that's exciting. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, excited to check that out. All right, Mike. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today and, and giving us some of the inside scoop on your work at Alpha and, and you know, sharing your thoughts about the future of learning and and making a ruckus uh, in this intersection. I really appreciate having you on. Well, thank you so much. I, was, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Off the Assembly Line. I hope you're able to take away a few things that'll help you make a ruckus in education or see new possibilities. Mike's information and the resources we mentioned will all be linked in the show notes, and you can find all of that at offtheassemblyline.co. If you liked what you heard, by all means, rate and review and hit that subscribe button to keep them coming. You can connect with me at RebeccaAReed.com or find me on LinkedIn. Now, go make a ruckus.